the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to what is really the last show of the year. We are live on New Year's Eve. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And probably since there's nobody out there listening, who knows what I'm going to do today. But we would still love to take your live phone calls and questions. Whatever's going on in your heart, your mind, we'll do the best that we can. You need only to call area code 210-340-9585. You can also call toll-free if you're outside the local area by dialing 877 Three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to call with or to, to send a question is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just push the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. We're praying for everybody to have a safe New Year's Eve. That way we can all make it safely into the new year. Uh, Our announcer yesterday said to the church here, he said, not everybody parties the way we do, so be careful when you're out there driving. Uh, And remember, whatever you're going to do tonight, it's more fun with Jesus. It's going to be more fun with Jesus. Now, obviously the pre-holiday, we're not, we don't have our Monday night Bible studies going. All of that will resume next week. Um, and what I'm going to do, because I actually don't believe there's anybody listening except Paul. I know she listens every day. Uh, but I'm going to share a little bit of what I shared with our church here regarding going into the new year on uh This past Friday evening's Bible study, we do this every year. Uh, The last study before the new year, we we, we talk about how we're going to have a better new year than we did the previous year. We always want to be growing. And so there was 10 things. I'm going to do five of them uh, with you now, and I'll do the other five on the program on Wednesday. By the way, we will be a rebroadcast tomorrow. Um, because of the holiday, but we'll be back live, Lord willing, on Wednesday, and I'll do the other five things. So I'm not preaching to you, just going to share my heart and share what I shared with our church here on Friday. I will interrupt anything I'm doing if anybody does decide to call, if they have any questions. So please feel free to do that. Uh, The first thing I told our church uh, for a better 2019 than 2018. Um, and I hope that's your, every one of your desire. For those of you who are, have regrets, maybe you broke some promises to God, maybe you weren't faithful, um, maybe you just haven't enjoyed that abundant life that Jesus has for us. Um, the first way to start is to look in instead of looking out. We Christians are no different than other people in the sense that we're always looking at other people and blaming what they're doing um, um, for the problems that we're having in life. And if 2019 is going to be a better year for you, 
then what you need to do is look in. Paul says to the church in Corinth at 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're not, whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Um, you can't fix anybody else um, except personal responsibility for the condition of your life. And don't blame anyone else for your issues. If you're in a, a marriage and the marriage is not pleasing to the Lord, if, if, if it's just something you've sort of given up on, don't look to change her or don't look to change him. Instead, go before the Lord and say, what about me? Um, I may have even announced this before. Paul and I are a, a little more than a week away. We're going to Garland, Texas in the Dallas area to do a marriage conference. Um, in the coming days. And one of the things that nobody will ever understand is you can't fix him, she can't fix you. So here's the thing, you let the Holy Spirit fix you. Look in instead of looking out. I tell our church here all the time that whenever you're looking out at somebody else's behavior, that's the unholy spirit. The Holy Spirit will always redirect that examination inward Remember, you're the only one that you can fix, and you can only fix you by getting right with God. So the first thing to make 2019 a better year is to look in instead of out. And the second thing that I told our church is that they have to get serious, not just as a church body, but this is individuals making decisions. They have to get serious about pursuing personal holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Romans 6, 22 says, Now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. The inference is clearly that the Christian who is pursuing holiness does so because God lives in us and we want to please him. Regarding the things of this world, Paul says in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, Therefore come out from them and be separate says the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now think about that for a moment. As you go through your memories from last year, when were the most difficult times, the times when God seemed the most distant, wasn't it? Those times when you're involved in unholy things. Now, I'm not talking about holiness in the sense being on your knees or always being in prayer. Holiness can be really fun. But remembering to keep Jesus in the middle of all of your thoughts, your conversations, all of your communication. Unless we get serious about holiness, the church will not see a resurgence in power. And there won't be the power of God coming upon you and then coming through you in the new year. And one of the things I can promise everybody listening to this program, I promised it to everybody in church on Friday. I told him very simply that if you pursue holiness, then Jesus will respond with the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and then through you. And that one thing will change your life more than almost anything else. Third thing, and this is a hard one for us, it's that we need to be learn to be content where you are and with what you've got. Christians are not immune from looking out at other people and the things that they have or the things that they're doing. Likewise, we have our own hopes and dreams and we are focused more often on what we don't have than what we do have. One of the real benefits of living with Paul is that she's always, and I mean this literally, she's always reminding both of us, her and me, of just how good God has been. And when you're focusing on the goodness and the faithfulness of God, you're no longer focusing on the things that you don't have. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said that he prays that we would learn the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Right away, we know it's a difficult thing. It's counterintuitive. Because it's a secret. Well, what's that secret? That secret is being with Jesus. That secret is keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, keeping your heart, the place of affection, and your mind, the place of decision on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But we need to learn to be 
content. If you're single and you want to be in a relationship, let God prepare you for the man or the woman that you're looking for, and he's going to do that by teaching you to be content where you are. If you want to be single, and every time we talk about this, we get phone calls or emails from people, but you don't know how hard it is to be lonely. Uh, I, I don't. I'm married. But here's what I know, and I know this from experience and from the Word of God, that if if your life is focused on another person, God isn't free to bring that person into your life because you'd put too much pressure on her or on him. We need to learn the secret of being content, and as soon as you're content where you are with Jesus, then you're going to open your eyes in that man and that woman that he's called to be your spouse will appear. Learn to be content. If you're married, stop dwelling on your husband or wife's shortcomings and focus instead on why you fell in love in the first place. If your lack of contentment is based on money, a lot of really wealthy people died this year, some of them even at their own hands. So money's not going to solve your problems. Learn the secret of being content where you are with what you've got. And when you do, you'll realize that you have everything that you need. That's just who God is. He's faithful. The fourth thing, and this is a pastor talking to his church Friday, but this works for all of you as well. Commit to learning and living doctrine. At the end of his life, Paul sort of passing the torch to, to Timothy. He said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, the reason he'd say that is because the lives that we live stem from what we believe. So doctrine really matters. It's important. We need to be men and women who rightly divide the word of God. I can promise you that 2019 will not be a good year, a productive year, a fruitful year. If you're not serious about the word of God. It's almost like we're going to a fight and the enemy's always trying to beat us up. But we're going without a weapon when we're not committed to the word. Even here at Calvary Chapel, we've got a lot of people who bring their Bibles to church every Sunday or Wednesday or Friday. And they're grateful they get teaching. But that's really the only time they really dig into the Bible. We live in a convenient culture where we want our morning devotions to take five minutes. That's why we read things like our daily bread instead of opening the Bible. How, how could we ever explain to Jesus why we would read something written by a man or woman instead of that which was written by God? If you want 2019 to be a year where your faith grows and where God uses you to, to be a blessing in the lives of others, you've got to know your Bible. You simply cannot make good decisions without knowing what the Bible says and how to do it. If you want power in your life, it comes with the Word of God. The fifth one and this will be the last one today, and I'll try to get the rest of them on Wednesday, because it's to stop judging others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And every time that we judge somebody else, and I'm talking about those disputable things, not somebody who's living in open, willful sin, the Bible calls it sin, then we can tell somebody what you're doing is wrong. But here's what I mean. We look at somebody who's different than we are. We look at a Christian who maybe exercises his or her freedom a little differently than you do. Maybe they take a few drinks occasionally and you think, well, Christians shouldn't drink. What you're really saying is you're not as good a Christian as I am. Be careful if you think you're standing, you're going to fall. We look at Christians who smoke and we judge them. We look at Christians who are tatted up and we judge them. What kind of Christian are they? We look at Christians in the way they dress. 
and we judge ourselves better than they are. And that is the height of arrogance. The one thing I've learned over and over throughout the years is that you can't judge a Christian book by its cover. And we need to learn to think the best of people. Stop judging other people and take all of your time for judging and use it on you. So those are the things that I wanted to share with you. Five of them. I have five more, and I'll do that, as I said, on Wednesday. Uh, And I really do pray for a, a, a wonderful, wonderful 2019. Paul and I talked about this a little bit on the radio this past Thursday. But let me just share this as well. We look back at 2018. And in a lot of ways, it was a difficult year. I've shared with you before at our church, we always struggle financially, always. Um, everything we do is free. And it seems like the more money that comes in, the, 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 the greater degree God increases our free ministry things. And it's all free and it costs a lot of money. So we're always barely keeping our head above water. And, and that's stressful at times. And yet we look back through all of that and we see the work that God has done in our hearts and in the hearts of the people here at the church. And I wouldn't trade any of it for a bit of an easier time. I've had some physical issues as we shared on Thursday. Actually, over the last two years. And while now they appear to be behind me and I'm feeling completely normal again, as normal as I can be, I've learned the faithfulness of God through it. And while I would love for 2019 to be a year where we don't experience any difficulties or any trials, we know really, don't we, that that's not going to happen. So here's what God has done through the trials of the last couple of years. He's made us tougher. He's become bigger and more faithful. And that's why I know 2019 is really going to be a year where God gets a lot of glory. My final thought on this, and then I'll get to some questions that have been sent in and await any phone calls if there's any of you actually listening out there today. The Lord has asked us here at Calvary Chapel to begin work in earnest on a new ministry. Um, It's a ministry that's probably not going to cost as much every month as this free school does. Um, But it's going to cost every bit as much every month as Malta Medical does. And so I would appreciate your prayers for wisdom as we step out in faith, for direction. We've got the people. God has provided the people. But um, this is going to be a huge step of faith. And um, I'm just thrilled that he considers us worthy to ask. So we're going to do it, and we'd appreciate your prayers. Okay, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to... Uh, our first question from our email inbox from Paul. He says, when you taught on this passage, Luke 9, 9, I started to wonder of how it would look. Uh, Herod trying to see Jesus. Could it be that he was not able to because Jesus didn't want to be found by him? Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, which is outside of the territory. Uh, perhaps this is a great example of how we avoiding the spotlight and the lure of fame even when it is offered to you. I assume that people would have considered Jesus a big shot because the king sought an audience with him. But then again, that sort of visit would have supported Herod standing in the community of believers as well, which I'm sure Jesus did not want to happen. Paul, interesting thoughts. A couple of things. Herod had a a huge palace in Caesarea Philippi. So it wasn't that Jesus was in one place and Herod couldn't get to him. I think we have a couple clues in the Gospel of Luke. And those clues are found in Luke 13 and Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read chapter 23 first, verse 8. It says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to be 
or I'm sorry, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. I think, Paul, that that's the reason that Jesus was avoiding Herod. Uh, He knew his heart. Uh, He knew that he was only interested in seeing a miracle. It's sort of like, you know, if you've got a kid that can sing or you've got somebody in your family who's a comedian and you just throw the spotlight on him, say, okay, be funny, say something funny or sing a song. Um, I, I think that's what it was. Jesus knew the hearts of all men and he knew that Herod was not sincere and as a result, he wasn't going to waste any time with him. Uh, we know a little bit more about Herod, uh, Jesus' thoughts toward Herod, uh, because in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, it says, At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, I don't think that's true, but they were just trying to get rid of Jesus. The next verse says, Jesus replied, Go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In other words, there's nothing that you can do to stop me. There's nothing that you can do. And when he calls Harold a fox, Herod a fox, he's indicating Herod thinks he's smart, but he's not able to outsmart Jesus. So, Paul, I think personally that uh, Jesus knew his heart and simply didn't want anything at all to do with him. Three four zero, and by the way, uh, Paul Herod was one of those guys um, um, who, who, out of curiosity, wanted to see Jesus. But toward the end of Jesus' ministry, people were going to avoid him because Jesus was the most wanted man in town. They knew that people were watching him, and they were plotting to kill him, and they didn't want to get caught up in the mess. So um, they were worried only about themselves. So Paul, thank you for the question. I hope that answers. Here is a question from Scott from our mobile app. He said, do you think that the bread and the fishes and the feeding of the multitudes multiplied in the hands or the baskets of the disciples or as the people reached for the food? Scott, I personally believe it happened when Jesus raised uh, the food to the heavens and and asked his father to bless them. Um, I think that's when it occurred. And since this was a lesson not for the people, Jesus knew that the people were only coming to be fed. Uh, I personally think that this was a miracle that when Jesus put the crumbs, and this is the way I described it when I taught that not too long ago uh, here at our church. Um, I think when he put the, the fish fragments and the bread fragments in their hands, I think the moment they took that step of faith, they would be facing Jesus, this hungry crowd behind them, and Jesus would say, you feed him. He'd put a little bit of food and they would look and they'd say, feed him with this. I've got crumbs. I've got fragments. Oh, well, because you said so. And I think when they turned around, that's when the food began to multiply. And of course, they would have baskets as soon as the food began to uh, to uh, multiply. Uh, but But it was a miracle that was intended not for the crowd as much as for Jesus' disciples. He's actually going to refer to this, and the word in the gospel is going to refer to it a couple more times later in Jesus. Uh, they had forgotten completely about the, the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. Uh, they gave them 12 basketfuls. Each of them had their own personal souvenir. So that's what I think happened, uh, and I think the genesis of it all was when Jesus lifted it to the Father and asked him to bless it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're about three minutes in uh, for the program, a little, little two and a half. Uh, Nacho from our email inbox says, as in the Old Testament, when the Hebrews disobeyed God and were scattered around the world because of their sin, does God still do that with us, with Christians today, in a spiritual sense? Um, Hebrews, I mean, I mean uh, Nacho, I think in Hebrews... Um, um, the, the lesson about uh, their drifting in faith, uh, their being slow and slothful, I think it's an important connection. I think, yes, when we are drifting away from the Lord, it happens so subtly. I think when we get lazy spiritually rather than than really pressing in and learning the Word, um, we, we sort of let laziness take over. Uh, I think then figuratively we are scattered around in a spiritual sense. We're sort of out wandering around. We love God. We, we, we're, we're, we're real believers. But there's no real power 
coming from our lives when Paul talks about having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I think, not sure that that describes a whole bunch of Christians. We say the right things, we go to church, we carry our Bibles, but we really don't know nor do we depend on what the Word tells us to do and then then makes it impossible to be obedient because we always revert back to what we know instinctively. So um, when the uh, Jews were scattered, they were scattered because they disobeyed God. God handed them over to enemy after enemy after enemy. Then he would rescue them time and time again. This all began in the time of the judges, but it never stopped throughout their history. And until the end of the Old Testament, God was always warning them about the judgment to come. And them being scattered was a judgment that came from God. And while we're not going to be judged if we're real Christians for our sin, I think we are judged for the choices we make when those choices are deliberately opposing God. And I think that's sort of the emptiness and the aimlessness of our lives. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. If you're out there, we'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh it's official now we only have 30 minutes left in the old year at least on the program again please be safe tonight um, honor jesus with your celebrations and wherever you go take him with you it will be a much better evening. Here is an anonymous question, really an important one. Pastor Ron, what do you suggest for someone who is addicted to alcohol? I really want slash need to stop drinking, but I just haven't been able. Anonymous, um, recognize a couple of things. And I'm assuming you're a Christian, you're listening to this program and writing in a couple of things you need to assume. First, Jesus is more powerful than anything this world can try to bind you with. Jesus is more powerful. So that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, you've got to make a decision. I talked about this in our Bible study yesterday here at church. You have to make a decision that drinking is who you used to be. You don't want to drink anymore. Now, I have issues. If you've listened to this program in length of time, you know that. But I have issues with this, this word addicted. Um, you know, there are things, uh, alcohol, drugs, that have physically addicting properties. But those things are out of your system completely from 48 to 72 hours. So that's what you've got to understand. After that physical addiction, that physical craving goes away, then it becomes a mental or an emotional problem. And you've got an enemy who's so much more powerful than you are. And he's going to trigger those thoughts in your brain. So let's stop thinking about drinking too much as an addiction. And instead start thinking of it as nothing more than sin that displeases God and separates you from God. And the more you're separated from God, the more power the enemy has over you. So that's the first thing. Own your sin. Tell God you're sorry, and then ask him to deliver you. Um, I think Paul and I spoke about this briefly on our program, Anonymous, on Thursday. But uh, on um, New Year, on Christmas Eve, a week ago, um, one of the couples that shared, um, shared that they went to bed drunk every night, husband and wife. And when they got saved, God took that, that desire to drink away. And they literally have been sober ever since. It's not a chore for them. They now enjoy the freedom. So understand that God can do this for you. Believe by faith in the power of God. 
then don't go anywhere. Now, I'm, I'm reading this question. I've actually had this question um, uh, since last week, Friday. I'm reading it on the night when people are going to go out and drink. So don't go anywhere where you're going to be tempted to drink. If you've got Christian friends and you're going to go to a New Year's Eve party, um, go to a place where they're not going to offer you alcohol. That seems unreasonable to you. Where am I going to find a party? Uh, Honestly, we could recommend a half dozen of them here at Calvary Chapel. So just don't go anywhere. You've got to make the decision that drinking is destroying the work that God wants to do for you and through you. And so you're going to say no. I don't mean to sound naive, but do you really believe that the power of God is greater than the power of alcohol to control you? We have the power that raised Christ from the dead. So if you want to do it, let Jesus do it for you. Tell him that you want to be used by him. You want to fall more in love with him. You want to get closer to him than you've ever been. And alcohol is the thing that's standing in the way. And if you'll do that, then the power of God will meet you. And then it's a matter of discipline. Find a friend who will stand with you during that time, especially while the physically addictive properties are going through your system. We've done that here at the church many times. I've got uh, one one of the men on my staff. um, He sat up with people for two, three, four days at a time who are going through withdrawals from drugs and things like that. Um, So so find somebody who will be there with you and for you. But remember, most of all, Jesus has already rescued you from the control of this sin. It's not an addiction, it's a sin. The next time you pick up a drink, you know for you it's sin. Don't buy into all, and I'm going to make some people angry here, so if there's 10 of you out there listening, at least it won't be too many. Please, no emails. But forget the nonsense that AA teaches you. Once a drunk, always a drunk. You're only one drink away from being an alcoholic all over again. How Christians can be brainwashed with that stuff when, in fact, it is in contradistinction of what the Bible teaches amazes me, but we are. So Jesus will do this for you. Go to your church and ask one of your pastors there to help you. If they send you anywhere but the Word of God and to somebody who will walk with you according to the Word of God, then you're in the wrong church. If they send you to AA or if they send you to some other program, some Christianized version of it, you're in the wrong church. So Anonymous, I pray that that will help you make 2019 be a great year for you. Uh, Put away the alcohol. It's trying to destroy you and the enemy is using it. 340-9585. James wants to know, how can I deal with people who say the Bible is just a guide, that all of it isn't inspired by God? James, I wouldn't worry about them. Don't deal with them at all. Just tell them, I'm, I feel really sorry for you because obviously you've never taken the time to really study your Bible, to research how we got it, and to give God a chance to show off to you through it and then leave them. You know, Hebrews were told to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, people in your life who are trying to prove to you that the Bible isn't really the literal word of God, they're they're trying to hinder your walk. So witness to them and then don't worry about them anymore. You don't have to convert them. You don't have to win an argument with them. Certainly don't let their arguments cause you to doubt You hold on to what you know, that the Bible is the Word of God. And tell people what I believe, because I get, what I say, I I get asked often, do you really believe the Bible is God's Word? How can it be God's Word when it was written by men? I simply say, I believe every single word of it was literally breathed by God. Next question. I never give them a chance to try to convince me. You see, I've already been through this in my walk more than 27 years ago now. 
I, I couldn't understand how the Bible could be the word of God. And the Lord challenged me to find out for myself. So James, find out for yourself. And anybody that tries to rain on that parade, you just don't need them in your life. It's that simple. They're the ones missing out, not you. Show them that they're the ones missing out by the fruit that comes from your life. It's a really important question. But we don't have the obligation to answer the dishonest questions, uh, the intellectually dishonest questions that everybody's going to throw at us. Andrew wants to know, Pastor Ron, what is meant by quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit? Andrew, it's just saying um, no to God. It's being disobedient. Um, It's saying yes to you, to your flesh. Um, And when we do that, we're quenching the Spirit. You know, this is a concept that has always fascinated me. I mean, when Jesus says we have the, the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us, he says the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory in us. The only force on earth powerful enough to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit is us. God won't force us to be obedient. So we got that matter of free will and choice. And every time, Andrew, we make the wrong choice, every time that we decide to do what we want instead of doing what God wants, it's like the Holy Spirit is thrown into a tailspin. It's like, oh, I want to do so much for him. And by the way, for all of you, this is a another great way to consider how 2019 can be a great year. Um, sow to the Spirit. Reap the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if we're not exercising those things in our life daily and practically, then we too are grieving the Spirit of God. And if we grieve the Spirit of God, since our life has to be empowered by the Spirit, well, the result of that is that we are simply not going to fulfill the plans that God has for us in 2019. Instead, thrill the Spirit. Make your answer always yes to whatever God says. And when you do that, the difference in your life will be easy to see. Everybody looks will see somebody, Andrew, who's filled with love and filled with joy and filled with peace. All the things that we need to make sure that we have a great new year. Jamie wants to know, Pastor Ron, have you heard the debate going on online about the song, Mary, Did You Know? There are people claiming Mary was a victim of rape by God. Others who say Mary was illiterate and was taken advantage of. Jamie, um, I don't pay any attention to debates going on um, online. Um, I love the song. It's a song that should inspire awe and wonder. It should make us all think. But as in my earlier answer, we have to get rid of people like this in our lives. Why would we engage somebody online who's going to claim that Mary was a victim of rape by God? Why would we even discuss that with somebody if somebody made that claim to me and Jamie I know you're not doing this but if somebody made that claim to me I would look at him like what's wrong with you of course Mary knew all you have to do is read the account of Gabriel's appearance read her response we call it Mary's Magnificat so how in the world Next, we're going to have a hashtag Me Too Mary movement or something. Uh, Mary was a faithful servant of God, the most blessed of women, the mother of our Lord and Savior. We don't need to defend God. She was a teenage girl, but she lived in a very different time. By the way, Jamie, and for everybody, anybody who's listening, um, When we try to hold 
ancient cultures to a modern Western culture standard, we're demonstrating our ignorance. Times are different. People are different. So believe me, Mary's fine. And please stop engaging people on online debates. Don't waste any time. It's it's sort of like um, conspiracy theories. I had a question last week, I think, about conspiracy theories. It was last week or the week before. And, and, you know, we shouldn't spend, like, one second on any of those things. Here's a question from Walt. He said, Dennis Prager was talking today about acting happy, even if you're not happy. Do you agree? Uh, two things. One, this question obviously been here for a while, so I don't know um, when this question was, so the reference to today. Um, but Dennis Prager is not a Christian, not a believer. So his worldview certainly isn't biblical. Now, I'm very familiar with Dennis Prager. I think he's a very bright guy. I think he is a uh, a great apologist for a conservative perspective politically and also a, a conservative worldview. Uh, Dennis Prager is a clear thinker. Uh, when it comes to everything except spirituality, religion, he calls it. Um, so I really don't um, put too much stock into things that he's saying because he's not coming from a Christian worldview. Now, however, he is a man that that has something to offer. I've learned things listening to Dennis Prager. I listen to him from time to time from in the car or uh, able to, to listen on the radio. Um, but acting happy when you're not happy is to be in denial. What I would say from a Christian worldview is if you're not happy, get happy. If you're not happy, you're not in the presence of the Lord. If you're not happy, you're spending too much time on the things that don't make you happy. I told the church yesterday, I can promise them one thing. If you spend time with yourself, you're going to be miserable. So the way we shift that as Christians, we spend time with Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. The other thing I would say in regard to this is happiness is a fleeting emotion. We're happy one minute, we're not happy the next. We're happy based on how people treat us or what they say to us or about us. Joy is permanent, and that permanence comes from knowing that Jesus is always thrilled with you. So I'm not a proponent of the fake-it-till-you-make-it thing. Here's what I think Dennis Prager was trying to, to, to make, the point he was trying to make, is that we don't have the right to dump our junk on the rest of the world. The world around us, especially those of us who are believers, born again, we need to be people who other people see as full of joy. Otherwise, what are they going to want with our Jesus? Why would they listen to us tell them about Jesus when they look at our lives and our lives are miserable? So, Walt, I personally think that if you're not happy, what we ought to do is get with God, get right with God, and start thinking about his perspective. Uh, I opened the program with the first five things that um, um, we need to do as Christians to make 2019 a better year. And one of them is to learn to be content where we are with what we've got. I'm never going to be happy if my focus is on material things. I'm never going to be happy if I've got a nice house and I go to somebody else's house and their house is nicer. I'm suddenly going to be unhappy if that's my focus. If I look at somebody else's wife and that wife seems to love and respect and my wife doesn't, and of course I'm speaking hypothetically here, well, I'm not going to be happy with my wife. Learn to be content with what you've got instead of focusing on what you don't have. So let your 
joy, forget the word happy, let your joy come from being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Caller called the studio just now and asked, what are the Freemasons and do they believe in Jesus Christ? There are some Masons who are Christians. Uh, I would say they are immature Christians. They're Christians who have very little interaction with their Bibles because much of what Freemasonry teaches uh, is in contradistinction to uh, what the Bible teaches. Uh, secret oaths and other things. They, the Freemasons do are very service-oriented, so they actually do good things. But as always, God is more concerned about their heart, uh, certainly more concerned than, than about what they do. Um, so what I would ask, or what I would, would say is that Freemasonry uh, can be quite cultish. I'm not classifying them as a cult, but they can be quite cultish. Um, practicing Freemasonry would distract people from serving the Lord. Um, They'd be getting ripped off. So if there are Christians who are Freemasons, and there's always a remnant everywhere, they're they're, um, Christians who know very little about the Bible, and they're not very invested in their Bible. And um, it's sort of a fraternity type thing. Men like to be with men. It's like a locker room mentality. Um, But uh, it's certainly not something that I would recommend a Christian get involved with. Um, you know, we have our own little club, Christians. It's called the church. And what we need to do is spend time in our club because that's where the Holy Spirit's at work. That's where God is giving gifts. That's where we're getting equipped to do the work of ministry. And that's the fulfilling work. So Freemasonry is certainly not Christian, but there would be some Christians who are Freemasons. They're just Christians who are getting ripped off because they're not enjoying the fullness that God has for them. So I hope that helps, caller. Here is a question from Vivian. She says, I know you don't think women should be pastors, but what about prophetesses? Vivian, I don't think women should be pastors because the Bible says they shouldn't be pastors. Um, That's the only reason. It doesn't mean anything to me. Prophetesses are a completely different thing. Now, there are no prophets or prophetesses like we have in the Old Testament or early in the New Testament, Philip's four daughters, um, among others. I'm sure Priscilla uh, was a a gifted prophetess. Um, But there is still the gift of prophecy. Now, exercising the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet or prophetess, but there is biblical precedence for women being prophetesses in the Old Testament, it's not something that we should dispute. It's there. And and women have a very important role, a very important voice in the church. And if we don't permit women to exercise the gift of prophecy in the church, then it's the whole church that's being ripped off. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, the, the, the men and women who now stand up in our church culture and saying, thus saith the Lord, they claim to be prophets or prophetesses. Uh, those people are not telling the truth. They're self-anointed prophets or prophetesses um, because there are no more prophets. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 tells us very clear that the, the, the church is built on a foundation already laid. On that foundation, the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then it says the church is being built on that foundation already laid. So no more prophets, no more prophetesses, but the gift of prophecy is still available to those that God will give it to. I think we're inside uh, four minutes, a little over three minutes now. Imagine that three minutes, we have three minutes until... This program is done for the year. Hey, can I say this? I may have time for one more question. But let me just take some time uh, here at the end to thank all of you. Um, The emails, not just the questions, but the encouragement that I get all the time. Um, Paul and I run into uh, radio listeners all the time out in the world where we travel. And you constantly let us know how important the program is to you and how valuable uh, it's been, and we're so grateful for that, and it's such an encouragement for us to hear it. And we really do want to thank you for taking the time to stop your day, tune 
um, tune in at four o'clock in the afternoons. And we pray that we're a blessing to this church body. Um, we have a church here at Calvary Chapel, but we also have a uh, kind of a an extended church uh, everywhere now in the community because of the program. We've been doing this now for more than six years, and um, it is just an unbelievable gift that you take the time to uh, to come and listen. Rather than take another question, let me also say this. Um, I'm going to be praying for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Um, I really expect that God is going to do some pretty spectacular things. You know, our, our world is deteriorating to the place where it's hard to imagine. Five years ago, we couldn't have imagined the world that we live in now. Just five years ago. Go back 10 years or 15 years. And it's in a time like this, where it seems the whole world is turned away from or turned on God, it's in a time like this that God is going to move. So be available to be used by God in wherever that movement is. Pray for the, peop- the people that you know who don't know Jesus. Pray for the people who just drive you crazy. They get on your last nerve. Pray for them without ceasing. And if you'll do that, God will use you in their lives. And it's much more uh, valuable to be used by God to change someone than it is to get somebody out of your life just so that your life is a little more comfortable. Make 2019 the year where you really decide, Jesus, I'm going to love you more than ever before. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to learn more about your heart. And then make 2019 a year where you actually believe the promises of God are for you. If you'll do that, it'll change your life. Be safe. And I'm signing off until next year. We'll see you live on Wednesday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.